Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Happy Resurrection Sunday, people! I just want to welcome everybody watching online. I want to welcome those of you joining us in Overflow. Sorry that you're back there behind the wall, but we love you. Love you, love you, love you. And he's risen there and here. And everywhere else you're joining. Um, That is the good news of today. Friday, we celebrated his death. How many of you were here at our Good Friday service? And how many of you thought, uh, that was the weirdest ending of a church service I've ever been to? Love it! I love it! We, I, I, I love to mess with you. And, and remember, that night, it didn't end the way any of his followers thought it was going to end. And he even told them he was going to die. And even still, they didn't see it coming. Can you imagine being his followers around the tomb as the stone is rolled in front of it? Can you imagine being the first one to leave? How did... How do you leave? What do you do? We thought he was the one. And now he's dead. Do you know what the good news is? I've read the rest of the story. He don't stay dead. He got up. He is risen. And you, you may be here today and you came with a friend or a family member and you're like, church is not for me and Jesus is definitely not for me. I just, uh, full disclosure, I gotta tell you, I'm all about you for the next 30 or 40 minutes of your life. I'm not thinking about anybody else except you. Anyone who thinks Jesus ain't for me, I'm gonna spend the next 40 minutes of your life trying to give you a picture of the real Jesus. The Jesus who is, not the one you think he is. Because I'm just telling you, he's better than advertised. Anybody who predicts their own death and their own resurrection and then pulls it off, the whole world should listen to. And you might be thinking, why is Jesus the most followed human being in the history of humanity? He called his death He called bank off the scoreboard with his resurrection. He died. And then he overcame death. And if you wonder, if you don't listen to anything else I say, and you say Jesus isn't for you, and you wonder, what is this whole Jesus thing about? What is this whole Jesus thing about? Here it is. Love. Love. If you don't know Jesus personally, I think there's a chance you don't know the real Jesus. If you got a Bible, I want you to open up to Hebrews chapter 4, put a marker in Matthew 8, 28, sorry, Matthew 28. We'll get to Matthew 28. I know many of you, we wake up on Resurrection Sunday and we want to get right to Matthew 28 and just go bananas. And I'm with you, but there's some work we have to do before we get there. All right? 
And we're going to cover a lot of ground. We're wrapping up our series entitled Real Jesus. Since the beginning of the year, we've been taking a look at Jesus. Not that many of us didn't know the real Jesus, but we've been taking a look at some of the aspects of who Jesus is that, that don't really get talked about as much. And here's the point of the whole series. It leads to today, especially if you don't know Jesus. The whole point of the series is Jesus might not be who you think. He actually is way better. No matter what you think, I can promise you he's even better than you think. Now, before I read you Hebrews 4 verse 14, I, I have to tell you and give you the title, I have to tell you the style of this message, all right? How many of you have that person in your life that sends you an email to say one thing, but they use nine paragraphs to say it? Just put your hand up, okay? And if they're sitting next to you, go ahead and jab them with your elbow, okay? This is not a message like that. This is, when I get busy, all the people that, that know me know when I get really busy, I send bullet point emails with no explanation because I don't have enough time always to give the context. So I got to give you the most important things in quick hit format. Okay, this is what I'm doing with this message today. Here's why. Because it might be the only half hour I ever get with you for the rest of my life. Furthermore, it might be the only half hour somebody in this room or in overflow or watching online might spend in church. And if they don't know the real Jesus, this may be my only chance to show them how amazing he is. So if you already know Jesus, this should serve as not just a reminder, this should be like the renewing of your vows to Jesus. When you hear and are reminded how amazing he is, how great he is, if it doesn't cause you to fall in love with him all over again, maybe never fell in love in the first place. Title of this message, might as well just give it to you. I've been beating around the bush long enough. Because some of you are gonna go, do what? Here's the title of the message. Jesus is our great high priest. Happy Easter. Preston, are you about to spend the next half hour of my life talking about a high priest? Yep. It's going to be awesome. Action-packed. And you're possibly going to see a side of Jesus you've never seen before. But here's where I got the title, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. If you open up in your Bible, you can read it with me. If you don't have a Bible, don't feel pressure. You can either get, get it on your phone, just go to Google, or you can just follow along on the screens. All right? Hebrews 4, verse 14. So then... Since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Okay, if you're asking the question, why are we spending Easter Sunday talking about Jesus as our great high priest? This verse. This verse ends. Let me read it to you again. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. That's how the verse ends. But the why is towards the beginning of the verse. Since we have a great high priest, let us hold firmly to what we believe. So, if one of the biggest reasons to hold firmly to what you believe is Jesus is our great high priest, that must mean it's kind of a big deal that Jesus is our great high priest. So, this message is designed to answer two questions. The first one will take two minutes. The second question will take the rest of the message. Question number one, what is a high priest? Well, if you go back to biblical times, God established an order for things. 
And there were priests, and then there was the high priest who was over all the other priests. And to, to make kind of a, a long story short, the high priest had one responsibility that was bigger than any of the other priest's responsibilities. One day a year, on the Day of Atonement, it's called, the high priest would go into the tabernacle. Just kind of see that as the church, if you never heard that before. It wasn't a place where everybody gathered like this, but it was the house of God, so to speak, back then. And there was the Holy of Holies. And then there was, in the middle of the Holy of Holies, a place called the Most Holy Place. Now, the word holy just means set apart. So there was the set-apart of set-apart places, but then inside of the set-apart of set-apart places was the most set-apart place. And in this most set-apart place just so happened to be housed the tangible presence of God. This was the place on the earth where the tangible presence of God in those days resided. And the high priest one day a year would sacrifice a spotless lamb and take the blood and sprinkle it around the room, basically. And the sacrifice, the blood was shed, and here was the why. The forgiveness of the sins of the people of Israel. They would be forgiven for yet another year. Now, the Bible clearly says that God created this order for things, not because it worked forever, but because it pointed to Jesus, who is forever. So let's take a look, and we're going to have to fly through some of these. Let's take a look at what Jesus is like. Scripture tells us what kind of a high priest he is. And when you learn about what kind of high priest Jesus is, you learn more about what he's really like. Here's point number one in answering this question. So what makes Jesus so great? Point number one, first part of the answer, his greatness is personal. His greatness is personal. Many who don't believe in Jesus have this narrative that Jesus is impersonal. Okay, the more I read scripture, the more personal Jesus becomes to me. Jesus is not impersonal. And I just want to show you a couple of the ways his heart is calibrated towards you in such a beautifully personal way. First, Jesus is a merciful, faithful, and helpful high priest. We're cramming all three into one because one passage says this. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 says, Therefore it was necessary for him, Jesus, to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters. In other words, human. Jesus, the Son of God, had to be born a human, fully God, fully man, in order to be what God created him to be. So Didn't create him. So that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest, destined Jesus to be. Our high priest was destined to be merciful and faithful as the high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since Jesus himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. Okay, merciful, faithful, helpful. Does this seem impersonal to you? Merciful, what does that mean? He's compassionate towards you. He's not yelling and screaming at you. He's compassionate towards you. Faithful. Think of, think of how fickle so many of the people in life are around us. Jesus is the opposite. He's faithful. Does that sound impersonal? Helpful. In other words, if Jesus were the person driving down the 101 and you had a flat tire, Jesus wouldn't be like the rest of his church and keep driving on by. 
Why? He's helpful. Okay, if your narrative of Jesus is, he's, he's far away, he doesn't care, he's impersonal. All evidence to the contrary. Now, in each subpoint that I give you in these three points, we're gonna answer a question. What does this prove? And if you don't know Jesus, I challenge you to write down these various proofs. So what does this prove? That Jesus isn't out to get you. This is one of the biggest narratives I hear of people who don't believe in Jesus. Jesus is just, he's like the divine lightning striker. Well, that's not what the Bible says. I, I get justice, I, I get it. But don't for a minute think he's not merciful, faithful, and helpful. Second thing when we talk about the personal greatness of Jesus, Jesus is a sympathetic high priest. He's sympathetic. And just think for a minute about a time in your life where something rough happened and you just needed somebody to be a little sympathetic towards you. Maybe you got hurt. Maybe something horrible was done to you. And when you most needed sympathy, someone came up to you and said, get over it. They gave you the opposite of what you needed. Here's what you need to know. That's not what Jesus is like. Jesus is sympathetic. Hebrews 4 verse 15, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. What does it mean that he's sympathetic? He understands. So if you don't know Jesus and you think he's always mad at you every time you do something wrong, let me paint a different picture. Let's say you just blow up at someone you love. You just get angry and you lose it. You say some things you regret you shouldn't have said. And if your narrative is Jesus is always mad at you, he's out to get you, he's the divine lightning striker, then you really think every time you do something bad, he just gets more mad. All evidence to the contrary. Jesus actually understands you far more than you think. Here's what that means. I blow it. I get angry. I say something to my wife or to my kids. The fact that Jesus is sympathetic doesn't mean Jesus is standing there saying, Preston, it's okay. Say whatever you want to them. Sometimes I wish he was that kind of Jesus. But he's not. And I'm grateful, actually, he isn't. The fact that Jesus understands my weaknesses means this. That when I lose it, yes, he is saying, Preston, I wish you wouldn't have said that to Tyler. I wish you wouldn't have gotten angry like that. But the fact that he understands means that's not the end of his sentence. He keeps talking. And it sounds something like this. Preston, of course I wish. I hope that you would never do that again. But even more than that, I wish you understood why you just did that. Because I do. Preston, you don't even understand how stressed you are. You're acting like you're not. And you're stressed because of this, 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 and this. I understand why you did that. It doesn't make it right. What does this prove? This is one of my favorite parts of the message. Jesus just gets you. The fact that Jesus understands your weaknesses means Jesus just gets you. This is a phrase I use for all of my closest friends. Maybe you use it too. You look at your friends who are closest to you and, they, and you say, they just get me, right? They just get me. You need to know this. Jesus gets you. 
understands you more than anyone ever will. He's sympathetic. He understands our weaknesses. Here's the second point, the second part of the answer when we talk about what makes Jesus so great as our high priest. Point number two, his greatness is incomparable. His greatness is incomparable. Okay, I want you to think about the most amazing person you know. Just get a picture of him right now. I mean, the, the, the most fun person you know, the most benevolent person you know, the most loyal person you know, the most famous person you know, just the most, most person that you know. Just get a picture of him. And what I want to do in this message, but especially in point number two, is I want to compare your most, most friend to Jesus. And just see how they stack up. Because I get your most, most friend is awesome. But they ain't no Jesus. I can prove it in less than three ways. You ready? Okay, here's the first way. Jesus is an eternal high priest. Jesus is eternal. That's part of what we're celebrating today. He conquered death. Well, President, I don't understand why, why it's such a big deal that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. I'm about to show you why it's such a big deal. Hebrews 7, 23. There were many priests under the old system for death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, how does Jesus live forever? He conquered death. He died and kicked death in the teeth. My man, Jesus. Therefore, he lives forever. Because Jesus lives forever, ever, his priesthood lasts forever. Remember that phrase, lasts forever. Verse 25, therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. Okay, go back to your most, most friend. Have you ever had a friend who in a season of your life was your mostest, most friend and they moved and you lost the same friendship? It wasn't the same. You missed out on some things because they moved or maybe they even passed away and you lost your most, most friend. You know one of my favorite things about Jesus? He's forever. This is why it's so important to study who Jesus is. Because the best of Jesus lasts forever. Here's another way to say it. Everything. Answer the question, what does this prove? What does the fact that Jesus is an eternal high priest actually prove? Here's what it proves. Everything Jesus is and does is forever not for a little while. So if Jesus saves you, put in the bank. It's forever. It's one of the reasons why, and I might, I might lose some of you semantically for a sec. This is why I, I just can't wrap my mind around losing my salvation. My salvation comes down to what Jesus did for me and my acceptance of it. Well, the Bible says what he did lasts forever because he lasts forever. Everything Jesus is and does is forever. That means you don't have to wake up ever again wondering, Jesus, is the other shoe gonna drop with you? Like these last couple years, it's been amazing. You're incredible, Jesus, but I mean, come on. I live in a fallen world. The other shoe's eventually gonna drop. 
No, no, no. Jesus says, forever. This is me. This is me. Forever. Because Jesus is eternal. Second, Jesus is the only perfect high priest. Hebrews 5 verse 8. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest. And he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. I'm not going to take a bunch of time to explain this, but here's what you need to know. I told you at the beginning, when the high priest sacrificed the lamb, the lamb had to be spotless. Why did Jesus do it this way? And you might even be asking, why did Jesus establish this whole system of priests and high priests? It was a system designed to point at Jesus. The lamb had to be spotless because if it was going to be sacrificed and God was going to accept the sacrifice for the sin of the people to be forgiven, God did not want spotted lambs. He wanted a perfect lamb. Why? Jesus couldn't die for you if he would have lived a sinful life. His death would have needed to be for him. Jesus lived the perfect life. Why? What was his why? So that he could die in your place. Jesus was the only perfect high priest. What does this prove? Jesus alone was qualified to die for you. No one else. Here's the third thing. Jesus is a sacrificial high priest. Hebrews 9 verse 11. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. Listen to verse 12. With his own blood. With his own blood. Not the blood of goats and calves. He entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. What makes Jesus so great as a high priest compared to all the other high priests? All the other high priests sacrificed a lamb once a year. Jesus became the lamb, so to speak. One of my favorite lines in scripture, John chapter one, verse 29, Jesus shows up on the scene for ministry to let the whole world know he is the son of God who has come to save the whole earth, all who will believe in him. And John the Baptist points at Jesus and he says, behold, the lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the whole world. See, the Jewish people had been trained to look for the one who would come to take away the sins of the people forever. Jesus was not a high priest who sacrificed a lamb. Jesus was the only high priest who ever became the lamb and died himself. Okay, let's go back to your most mostest friend. Okay, remember that person? And probably one of the reasons you picked your most, most friend is because they love you more than maybe everybody else. Question, do you think if you and your most mostest friend went to New York City and, or any, any city around the world and you were walking down an alley and someone popped into the alley with a gun and put it to your most mostest best friend put it to their head and said, I'm going to shoot one of you. Who would you like me to kill? What are the odds your most, most friend says, 
shoot me. Don't shoot them, shoot me. Now, you might be thinking, well, I think the odds are high. You would be wrong. Because I don't care how much they love you, the only thing they love more than you is themselves. It's human nature. No one is jumping into line to die for you. Except Jesus did. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Kill me. Kill me. I'll be sacrificed. I will lay down my life for her. Okay, uh, on Good Friday, I, I was just laughing after the service was over because I was watching back in the back and you could just tell it was awkward for a couple minutes and people were like, what are we doing? Like, is this over? And really what everybody wanted is they wanted to start celebrating Jesus. And I get it. But, but here's part of the problem, I think, of, of Holy Week. I think all too, all too often we are in such a hurry to get to the end of the story that we fast forward through the best part of the story. See, you might be pre-programmed to think that the best part of the story is Jesus being resurrected from the dead. And that is an incredible part of the story. But in my opinion, it's not the best part of the story. And Jesus in John 15 says why. See, Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we're celebrating the power of God. Scripture says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in every believer in Jesus. So Sunday is about the power. But you know what Friday is about? The love. Sunday is about the power of God. Friday is about the love of God. And sometimes we are in such a hurry to get to the end of the movie that we fast forward through the most loving part. If you are here and you don't know Jesus, and this is the first time you've ever heard anybody say, Jesus died for you, you're probably asking one question in your mind. Why? Why would Jesus do that for me? Let me give you the most simplistic answer I can while being as theologically accurate as I can. What was his why? You. You. If you had been the only one, he had made up his mind. I'll die for you. You are his why. What does this prove? Jesus actually loves you more than any human ever will. Jesus Christ actually, literally loves you more than any human ever will. Now, if you put a, a marker in Matthew 28, flip over there, because I know some of you are like, let's just get to the good part. Okay, it's all good. Beginning to end, it's good. Because he is great, not just good. But let's read it together, Matthew chapter 28. This is the story of what happened on Sunday morning. Matthew 28, verse one. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone in front of the grave. 
the tomb, this is my favorite part of the story, and sat on it. I think that angel was competitive. He didn't just roll the stone away. He moved that forever heavy rock and then just went, what? It's empty. Watch. The angel's face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Some of the most amazing words written in any book ever. Jesus predicted. He called his shot and said, I'm going to die for you. Don't worry. I will kick death in the teeth. I will over overcome it for you. Why? Why? Why is it so important that Jesus not just died, but was raised from the dead? His death proves his love. But his resurrection proves his obsession. Jesus actually said to his followers, he said, hey, listen, here's how it's going to go down, and, and then I'm going to leave, and, and I am going to go and prepare a place for you. And when everything is ready, I'm going to come back and get you. He's saying this to those who believe in him. He said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you, then I'm going to come back and get you. And then he says, here's why I'm coming back to get you. So that you can be with me where I am forever. Okay, if your narrative is that Jesus is distant and wants nothing to do with you, um, I hate to blow holes in your argument. The Bible says Jesus wants to spend forever with you. Let's go back to your most mostest friend for a sec before we get to point three. Do you think your most mostest friend wants to be around you 24 seven for the rest of eternity? Well, Preston, you don't know how amazing I am. <laughs> no, I actually do. I do, and so do they. You're awesome. But there ain't nobody in your life that thinks you're so amazing, they want to spend forever with you 24-7 for all eternity. Except Jesus. He's obsessed with you. He wants to spend forever with you. That's why he sacrificed his life for you and conquered death for you. Point number three, his greatness is positional. We'll finish with this. His greatness isn't just personal and it's not just incomparable without comparison. It's actually also positional. This message might get a little, a little freaky for some of you at this point. This is my favorite part of the message, okay? A little Bible trivia. What is Jesus doing right now? Like, just think about it. What's he doing? Is he drinking out of some glass with an umbrella? On the beach somewhere? Do we even know what Jesus is doing right now? You know what I love about the Bible? It answers my questions. It tells us exactly what Jesus is doing right now. 
And what he's doing is incredibly positional. Here's the first thing Jesus is doing right now. Jesus is seated. Jesus right now is seated. Hebrews chapter 10, you can turn there if you want. Verse 11, under the old covenant, the priest stands. That's important. The priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself, sacrificed himself instead of just a lamb once a year. He offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. That means no matter what you do. Now, the goal is not to take advantage of that. It's to try and wrap your mind around that so it changes the way you live. But no matter what you do, that sacrifice is good for all time to cover every mistake you make. Our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice, good for all time. Watch this next part. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. That means on the throne at the right hand of God the Father right now. That's where Jesus is seated. Now, this, this phrase sat down. You might be feeling like I, I'm a little too riled up about that phrase. It's, an actual, it's, it's a really important phrase. I get that many of us uh, work a, a desk job and we sit all day to do our work. But for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, people didn't sit behind a computer screen to do it, their job. They worked. And much of the time they were on their feet and they wouldn't sit down until they were finished with their work. Okay, Jesus is presently seated and the Bible tells us why. Because he finished the work the Father gave him to do as it relates to your sin. What does this prove? Jesus finished the job. Which leads us to the next thing. Jesus isn't just seated. He's seated comfortably. I want you to get this picture. Okay, Tyler, come here for a sec. Press, are you behind him? Come here, Press. These are my boys. They, they hate this. Come on, Press. They hate it. Jump up here. They're right now thinking, Daddy, I'm never going to talk to you again. Okay, Tyler, come stand over here. Thanks, Press. Press, if you'll sit in this seat. This is the throne. Come sit here, Press. He's the baby of the family. You get the throne. Press is going to be Jesus. I just want to illustrate this to you. Okay? Jesus isn't just seated, he's seated comfortably. And, and this gives me just such hope. And it, it, it makes me fall in love with God even more because I'm a competitive person, okay? Jesus isn't just seated on the throne, he's seated comfortably, okay? I'm gonna show you in scripture what that means. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 13. There, on the throne where Jesus is seated, there he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. Let me illustrate this. Anybody remember the game Simon Says? Remember that game? Who had all the power in Simon Says? Simon, right? You had to do whatever Simon Says. Now, I get theologically, this may not be, but I'm telling you, I think it's a little bit like Simon Says. And God is Simon. He has all power in heaven and on earth. And he says to Jesus, sit, now that you're back, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for you. Tyler, the older brother, 
is going to be the enemies <laughs> of Jesus. And here's the picture I get when I read Hebrews 10, verse 12. Tyler, can you get down on all fours for me, please? God says to Jesus, sit on the, th my man, do it. He didn't even know. Go ahead, bro. Put your feet up there. Jesus is seated comfortably. My guy, I can't even see your eyes, but I see you laughing. This is what the Bible says. Listen, you can't say to all of your enemies, Simon says, get down on all fours. And trust me, it ain't Simon, it's God says. The one who has all power in heaven and on earth. Every one of the enemies, death, get down on all fours. And it's as though the father says to the son, here, here, just, just put these up here. Is, is, that, is that how you like it? Is that the right angle? No, is that, is that a, little, a little high? Okay, enemies, down, down. Yeah, nope, nope, you don't like that. Come, come in, back this way, enemies, back this way. Back, yeah, yep, a little bit higher enemies. Just right there, right there. Okay, this is what God is doing with all. Why do Christians act like we hope it ends well? When God says to his son, hey, you finished the work I gave you to do as it relates to the sins of all the earth. Now sit here and let me make a fool out of all of our enemies. Jesus isn't just seated on the throne. Trust me, he's seated comfortably. Thanks, boys. I appreciate it. What does this prove? Can I just be me for a sec? To me, this proves God is cocky. <laughs> I know that might be heretical to some of you, but I don't mean like ungodly. You can't be ungodly. He's God. I just mean God has a confident side. I think his children should tap a little more into his enemies are made his footstool. Okay, if you don't know Jesus, can I just say this sweetly? If you don't wanna be on his team, all that means is you really like to lose. Like, I love you, I think you're great, but I hate to lose. Jesus wins forever, and this is not a game. He conquered death, hell, and the grave so he could spend forever with you. He is seated now on the throne and he is seated comfortably while his enemies are being made his footstool. It brings us to another question, kind of. Okay, so Jesus is seated comfortably, but what is he doing? Glad you asked. Jesus is advocating for you. If you've tuned me out for the last 20 minutes, come back to me just for the next six minutes. Right now, Jesus is advocating for you. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. And it tells us that Satan stands before God accusing you. In other words, every time you do something bad, Satan is there to put it in God's face, to accuse you of what you've done. So let's just go to a deeper end of the pool. It means that abortion. Let me just paint the picture because a lot of people see Jesus as the prosecuting attorney who's attacking you. That's not actually what the Bible says. I'll read it to you. 
1 John 2, verse 1, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. Jesus isn't the prosecuting attorney. He's the defense attorney. Seated on the throne at the right hand of the Father. And when Satan, the accuser, the prosecuting attorney, brings piece of evidence number 712. And 712 just happens to be abortion. Judge, the judge is God. He's the only righteous and perfect judge. Judge, the prosecution would like to submit piece of evidence number 712. Look what she just did. She killed that baby. And he presents his argument. Judge, she cannot spend forever with you. You're going to let somebody who does that spend forever with you? Look at how repulsive she is. She killed someone you created. And he is making his case. The Bible lets us know at the very same time. The head of the, your defense team sits at the right hand of the father. It says, judge, the defense would like to take view of evidence item number 712. The judge, God, says, let it be so. And the abortion is taken over to Jesus. And he takes his blood and he dumps it on it. And he says, judge, the defense would like to resubmit evidence item number 712 for your viewing. And it goes back to the judge, and the judge says, what were you saying, Mr. Prosecutor? Judge, I was saying that was an abortion. I know you can't see it, it was an abortion. Surely you don't forget what she just did. And the judge says, when my son's blood is applied, no matter how much it hurts. As a result of what was done, when his blood is applied to her sin, I choose to remember it no more. It is forgiven. And I want it removed as far as the east is from the west, so that she never wakes up another morning in her life thinking that's who she is. You don't believe in Jesus? You tell me after hearing that what makes him so bad. He died so he could cover everything you're so ashamed of. And he is seated on the throne advocating for you because he's obsessed with you. 
He's not attacking you. That's the job of the prosecutor named Satan. Jesus is your great defender. What does this prove? Jesus is for you, not against you. And you'll never be able to make the case to me that he's against you. Someone who's against you doesn't die for you. Here's the last thing. When we talk about his position, that he's seated, he's seated comfortably, he's advocating you from his throne. Here's the other thing, he's inviting you. He's inviting you. I explained to you the Holy of Holies inside the tabernacle and inside of the Holy of Holies was the most holy place. And the most holy place was marked out by uh, curtains. I wanna read you something that happens right after Jesus breathes his last breath and dies on the cross. Matthew 27, verse 50, then Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary, the most holy place, was torn in two from top to bottom. When Jesus died, the veil that separated man from the presence of God for every day other than the day of atonement and separated every man, woman, and child except for the high priest once a day, uh, once a year. That veil was ripped apart. And here's what that means. That most holy place is the most special place that will ever be where God is. And when Jesus died and the veil was torn, it was Jesus inviting you to the greatest place you will ever know wherever God is. How can you tell me God is distant? If the veil was still up and only one person could go in one day a year, maybe I might side with you. When his son died, he tore the veil and said, I want to spend forever with you. And I've done my part. My son has done his part. But you've got to do your part. You have to accept my son's invitation to spend forever with me. What does this message prove? We've gone through a lot of proofs. What, what, what do all these things about Jesus prove? I'll tell you what I kind of came up with. There's no good reason to spend forever apart from God. I've lived almost 43 years on this earth. I've heard a lot of reasons why people think it's a good idea to spend forever apart from God, but I'm gonna shoot straight with you. I've never heard a good reason. I've heard lots of reasons, but I've never heard a good one. And if you're here today, and, and you may have even heard a side of Jesus you've never heard about before, but you might still be going, yeah, but here's my plan. I still plan on spending forever apart from God. Here's what I beg of you. Come find me before you leave. I'd love to hear your reason. How, how do you look somebody in the eyes who gave up his only son to die in your place? 
How do you look the one who died in your place in the eyes after he said, let me tell you what the greatest of all loves is when someone dies for you. How do you look that very person in the eyes and say, here's my plan, I'm gonna spend forever apart from you. You did all of that for me, but my plan is still to spend forever apart from you. How? Why? Hebrews 10 verse 21 says, and since we have such a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. In other words, it doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus died to do something forever about what you've done that you're so ashamed of, that you so regret. Jesus laid his life down for you. Why? Because he knew how amazing his father's presence was and he wanted you to spend forever with him. I don't know who you came in here thinking Jesus was. But if you've never made him your best friend, there's only one reason. It's not because you're bad. It's not because something's wrong with you. It's simply because you just haven't met the real Jesus yet. Because I have a lot of great people in my life who love me and would do a lot of things for me, but I've never met anyone who has done for me what Jesus has done. And one of the things I've learned in this job over the last two decades is that every man, every woman, every child, God put within them a deep desire to be loved. It's how he made you. But you cannot fully know love until you come face to face with the one, the only one who is willing to prove his love for you forever. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, there's gonna be a chance. It's not gonna be over the next few minutes. It's gonna be at the end of the service because we're about to celebrate Jesus. It's probably gonna get a little loud and, and I, don't wanna, I don't wanna force you to have a conversation while we're celebrating our risen Jesus. But at the end of the service, after we dismiss, if you're here today and you've never met Jesus personally, he's not your best friend. You came in having the wrong idea of him and you heard a side of him you've never heard before. Or maybe he's been after you for a while and something just feels different right now. And you know it's time. You know it's time to become best friends with the one who died for you. If that's you, at the end of the service, I just challenge you. There are gonna be some people at the front of this room, some friends of mine who would love to pray with you. And all you have to do, as everyone else is exiting and leaving, no one's gonna be staring at you, paying attention. You can just come up to one of them and say, I wanna meet Jesus. I want to meet that Jesus. I may never get to talk to you again. I just need you to know he is so much better than you think he is, no matter what or who you think he is. And he wants to spend forever with you. But you gotta do your part, you gotta accept his invitation. 
you gotta receive what Jesus did. And you can do that at the end of this service. For the rest of us, hopefully this served as a beautiful reminder just how great our Jesus is. Jesus proved his love for me, for us. You know what worship is? Worship is love expressed. And so we're gonna take a few moments before we leave today and we're going to express our love to Jesus. And I want you to try, especially if you've been walking with Jesus for a really long time, I want you to access a part of your heart that maybe you've protected. And I want you to lay it wide open before Jesus and I want you to worship from that place. Jesus, thank you for what you did. Thank you for loving us the way that you do, the way you always will. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here who doesn't know you as best friend, that they would meet you face to face today. Let it be impossible to leave this moment without making you their best friend. Jesus, for the rest of us who've been friends with you for days and months, years, and maybe even decades, Jesus, today we celebrate you. There is no one like you. There's none better than you. So Jesus, would you just let us take these next few moments and express our love to you? This is our gift on this day to the one who is greater than all. His name is Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand. And as we stand, we're going to express our love to Jesus. We're gonna worship, we're gonna give him a gift. There's none like him. And if there's none like him, let's give him something we've never given him before. Let's worship and celebrate our reigning risen king.
about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.